episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows, weekly cyber threat intelligence and information security podcast. My name is Chris and I'll be hosting this week. And as ever, I'm joined by my colleagues across the pond in Ivan and Austin. How are you both doing, chaps? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us. Hey, Chris. Doing well, man. Thanks again. No worries. Always good to speak to you both. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd just start this week's podcast by saying you may have noticed that in the last few weeks, we've been dedicating several stand-up podcasts specifically to the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. And we will be discussing an aspect of the conflict later in the podcast, um, along with other developments that have occurred in the last week. Um, but I thought I could start with a short recap of, of other items uh, from this week from the world of threat intelligence. And the first one is uh, that caught my eye, at least, is that security researchers have found uh, a new way to bypass existing hardware-based defenses for speculative execution um, that's pretty much present in all modern computer processes. Um, so for those who aren't aware, speculative execution is an optimization technique in which a processor performs a series of, of tasks before it's prompted, um, basically in order to have that information ready before it's uh, required. Um, and the three affected CPU manufacturers, so Intel, AMD, and ARM, um, they published advisories uh, for mitigation uh, updates on this. Um, essentially, this represents you know, the latest in a long line of speculative execution problems that will go all the way back to the discovery of the meltdown and spectre vulnerabilities that I'm sure many of the people listening to this will have horrible memories of. Um, that was back in, in January of 2018. Um, in a separate um, report this week, opportunistic cyber criminals are also attempting to exploit hacktivists that are sympathetic to Ukraine by offering malware that's purporting to be offensive cyber tools uh, in order to target Russian entities. And once downloaded, these files have been infecting unwitting users uh, rather than delivering the tools that have been originally advertised. So there were some DDoS tools that were being used for this reason. Um, and on, on the other side, uh, Russia has also confirmed that some of its federal agencies' websites had been compromised in a supply chain attack on Tuesday uh, after unknown attackers hacked the stats widget that's used to track uh, a number of visitors to um, its government agencies' websites. Um, and this resulted in several of the agency's websites being defaced uh, to publish pro-Ukrainian images. So just another continuation of the hacktivist activity that we've seen with this conflict. Um, and this week, we've also seen reporting indicating that Chinese state-sponsored threat actors had compromised six government networks. Um, in fact, it wasn't government, it was state networks in the US by exploiting log for shell uh, and a series of other zero-day vulnerabilities. And this activity has been attributed to APT41, which is a really you know, highly credible and resourceful uh, nation state actor coming out of China. Um, while we're on the topic of vulnerabilities, um, we also had reports of a new uh, Linux vulnerability known as Dirty Pipe, and that allows local users to gain root privileges through publicly available exploits. Uh, this vulnerability is tracked under the designation CVE 2022. 0847 and has caused quite a bit of concern within the security community since this disclosure. Um, so moving on to our first segment for today. Um, so Ivan, you know, this has received, you know, quite a bit of uh, attention. Um, could you provide us more details on the bug and, and try to quantify its risk? 
Sure. <clears throat> so, Chris, this vulnerability is very similar to the 2016 vulnerability called the Dirty Cow, uh, hence the name Dirty Pipe. So if this vulnerability is exploited, it can grant a local user root privileges to uh, devices, which is something that can be used by threat actors to, and they can incorporate in their, their attacks after they have any, uh, achieved initial access. Uh, and this vulnerability affects all Windows, or sorry, Linux kernels uh, that are outdated. Uh, and uh, one possible scenario is that a threat actor can exploit this vulnerability to modify the password file in a Linux machine so that the root user doesn't have a password. And after doing that, uh, the user can perform commands as the root user. So they, they can elevate their privileges very, very easily. So it affects all outdated versions of, of Linux, which you know, is gonna have a really you know, wide attack surface. Um, one thing that we do see with kind of big vulnerability disclosures is several additional bugs being disclosed shortly after. Should we expect to see, you know, other related vulnerabilities affecting Linux kernel? Um, that is definitely a possibility. This has this has been a rough few months for Linux with uh, many high severity uh, privilege escalation vulnerabilities being found recently. And uh, when these vulnerabilities are found, uh, in a way, it paints a bigger target on the operating system. And threat actors, they can learn from these vulnerabilities that are disclosed. And you can think of it like a writer getting writer's block. And then when you read a book from another author, you can get ideas from it. But in general, it's just the continuous process of security professionals fixing vulnerabilities and threat actors finding new ways to exploit them. It's a really, really interesting way of putting it with the writer's block. Yeah, you get, you get um, ideas from reading other people's research, right? Um, I suppose this is very much in the same way. Would you say that Linux is a, a more secure operating system than Win Windows, generally speaking? Uh, yes and no. Whenever a threat actor cre creates a piece of malware, they usually try to make it so it will be able to target the largest number of users possible. So yes, uh, there is inherently <clears throat> there is inherently a higher risk of getting infected if you uh, uh, with malware if you're using a Windows machine. But threat actors they are smart and they know that a lot of companies they store uh, valuable information within operating systems like Linux. So Linux-based malware does exist. Uh, and in addition, as we have seen in this case, there are a lot of vulnerabilities that can be exploited, even in Linux, that can put, that can put organizations at risk. So there, there will always be security threats, no matter what operating system you use. Uh, therefore, the most important thing is that you keep up with security patches and you apply several layers of defense. Um, I was reading this morning um, just about this question in general, and um, I didn't realize that Linux uh, doesn't grant full admin or kind of root access to, to users by default. Um, obviously, while Windows does, to kind of, you know, when a virus does get in or we have something of this nature, you know, the damage it can cause is, is slightly less limited. Um, but as you were alluding, you know, there's still a massive problem. Um, there's still going to be vulnerabilities and, and um, malware affecting Linux is in the same fashion that um, it does to Windows as well. So all we can do really is, is stay on top and, and patch and fix things where possible, really, I guess. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, we'll move on to the, the next story uh, we'd like to cover today, and that is surrounding a statement made by the FBI, who said on Monday the 7th that at least 52 critical infrastructure entities had been breached by the Ragnar Locker ransomware group as of January 2022. And in a flash advisory, uh, this included details of um, what, you know, what industries and what companies and, and things of that nature that have been targeted 
uh, by this particular group. Um, and this included um, 52 affected organizations across 10 different sectors, including energy, financial services, government and IT. Um, so the first question I'd like to, to pose to you, Austin, is, you know, what does the ransomware look like in, in 22? Um, you know, have we seen a continuation of the activity levels that we had in 2021 or, you know, perhaps has it dropped off or, or indeed increased? Yeah, I think to, you know, get a more accurate assessment of what we're looking at this year, we have to look at the tail end of 2021. So in the fourth quarter of 2021, we saw a pretty substantial increase in the number of ransomware attacks uh, from the previous quarter. It was like a 36% increase. Um, which is not a small number. You know, we're talking like close to a thousand ransomware attacks in one quarter alone. Um, so, you know, just looking at this quarter so far, we're, we're probably on track to see less victims, um, a, slight a slight decrease, but, you know, that doesn't discount that ransomware is still a prolific threat. Um, and ransomware groups continue to be emboldened by the prospects of these uh, potential huge paydays. And uh, just... You know, based on what the experts in the industry are saying, um, and the government, cyber, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, FBI, NSA, they reported that ransomware attacks were only going to grow in 2022. And one of the reasons they cited for this uh, was the continuation of ransomware as a service, um, and what they called, what they referred to as franchising, which is basically, um, you know, ransomware threat groups uh, lending their malware or selling their malware and their tactics to less skilled threat actors and then continuing to engage in those profit sharing schemes, you know, where the, the group retains a portion of the profit and the uh, affiliates uh, also make money. Um, and I think, you know, based on this report, the critical infrastructure sector is of particular concern. Um, because we've not only seen targeting in the sector in the first half of the first quarter of this year so far, but the threat's been elevated due to the recent events in Europe, obviously. Yeah, I, I, um, I've read some of the reports you're alluding to there, um, talking about the kind of effect of ransomware as a service and how that's you know, only going to increase the numbers of these threat actors in committing intrusions. And you know, they're, they're obviously still having success and despite everything that's that's obviously going on in Eastern Europe right now, you know, companies just can't afford to, to take their eye off, you know, commodity ransomware because it still is arguably the, the biggest risk, the biggest um, issue facing uh, business in, in 2022. Um, touching upon the uh, the Conti leaks, which, you know, I know we've we've explored in a, in a recent podcast. Um, you know, what do you expect to find in that sort of... Uh, treasure trove of information yeah so um there's a lot of information to unpack um you know there's tens of thousands of lines of text um so quite a bit to sort through but i think um just some of our preliminary looks into the conti leaks um i think we could probably get some insight into the ttps uh that conti uses um probably going to see some of the money laundering methods that they use. We have seen some of their cryptocurrency wallets, which is no surprise. Um, but I think there, there's going to be more information related to how they hide and move their money. Uh, what is a particular interest uh, to me would be the organizational and payment structure of the group. Um, just seeing how it operates because there's, uh, you know, there's dozens of actors, um, as we can see, based on the, um, you know, private messaging handles that they're using. Uh, this is a pretty large operation that operates somewhat like a normal business. So seeing, uh, you know, how people are paid, um, what the, you know, 
the tier levels of, you know, who's most respected, uh, things like that. But I also think that we're going to see uh, some of the more personal details of people um, that otherwise, this, this is pretty novel. We haven't really seen, uh, you know, text chats from a ransomware group like this. So I think insights into geography, um, possible some possibly personal details could appear as well. Absolutely. I, Ivan, have you had any thoughts on this particular topic? Um, I think Austin covered it pretty well, but uh, it's pretty interesting to see how they operate and uh, even how they talk about their other ransomware groups. Uh, specifically, they talk, not another group, but Ryuk is another one that's linked to Conti. And when they talked about Ryuk, uh, it really, they were talking about themselves. And it was pretty interesting to see how they mentioned a lot of news articles, especially from like Bleeping Computer. And uh, they, they always talk, oh, how did this information get out there? who leaked it and it was pretty pretty cool to see absolutely yeah there's there's just so much information in there right and it's going to take threat intelligence team uh teams a, a huge amount of time to sort of sift through that and there will be um you know so many kind of nuggets of information that just surface in the in the coming weeks and months i'm, I'm sure um and one of which you were talking about the kind of financial setups of these groups and and how they launder money including the use of cryptocurrency um accounts and um on that note i'll i'll segue to our final section today which is touching upon um, the decision from coinbase which is a very very popular cryptocurrency exchange platform um, who announced this week that they were taking the action to block access to more than 25,000 blockchain addresses that are linked to Russian individuals uh, and entities. And the company also shared um, all these block addresses with the US government to kind of further support the sanctions uh, enforcement going on and against Russia. Um, so we've released a, a blog on this topic, uh, exploring a kind of impact of sanctions and, and whether crypto can be used to sort of minimize the impact of those. Um, but what's your your take on Coinbase's decision? And, you know, was this the right choice? Yeah, I think it's the right tone to set. Um, just when we see major companies make a move like this, other companies in that industry tend to follow. Um, actually, just this morning, I saw that uh, Goldman Sachs had, was like the first major Wall Street bank to announce that they were no longer going to be doing business with Russia. Um, so, you know, big power players like Coinbase really sets the, the tone for the rest of the industry. And this is the cryptocurrency industry's way of applying sanctions to Russia. We've seen a lot more cooperation between the US government and the cryptocurrency industry recently. And I think the cooperation is only going to increase, especially with the Biden administration's new executive order on cryptocurrency yesterday. Uh, it's a hopeful sign of cooperation, especially when it comes to holding people accountable for criminal activity. Yeah, I saw the um, there was a few takeaways from the executive order. Um, my initial thoughts last week when I saw that you were releasing the executive order would be, you know, it would be kind of, you know, very high on regulation. And uh, when these initial reports came out, it, it seemed to be, you know, quite bullish overall. And it was, you know, relatively high level. But, but one of the things they did want to tackle was the use of cryptocurrency in facilitating financial crime, you know, which is obviously a good thing, you know, stopping these these ransomware actors from using crypto to um, to fund their activities. Um, I, I guess, you know, question I, I wanted to pose to you as well is, you know, realistically, do you do you think that crypto offers, you know, the Russian government or kind of sanctioned individuals a, a way around these sanctions that are being applied against them? Yeah, there's some speculation around this. Uh, say there's no real um, yes or no answer. Uh, cryptocurrency alone is probably not going to allow Russia to get around the barrage of sanctions that we're seeing from, you know, so many countries. Um, 
And it's also important to note that Russia's wealth has been ingrained in the global financial system for decades. Uh, I was just reading a report that 80% of Russia's daily foreign exchange transactions um, and half of its international trade have been conducted in U.S. dollars, uh, which is a very substantial amount of wealth. Um, but I do think that, yes, there, there are going to be some instances where they can uh, use cryptocurrency as a way to try and skirt sanctions. Um, but I think, uh, you know, people, not just government officials, but ordinary citizens would, you know, be faced with the dilemma of, um, you know, <laughs> cryptocurrency, yes, it's more widely accepted, but you can't use it in, you know, uh, your everyday transaction like you can with traditional currency. Um, so it would it would require a major overhaul of the financial system in Russia as it stands today. Yeah, the um, the main points I found researching this was that the, the kind of transparent nature of the blockchain would make the movement of vast swaths of money quite visible to law enforcement. So obviously there needs to be a, a huge amount of effort in tying those those wallet addresses to individuals. But you can still see, you know, if there was a huge payment being made, you could still see that going ahead. And obviously we previously talked about, you know, the various methods that, that cyber criminal actors use to get around this, but I just think it would be incredibly difficult and completely implausible, this idea that they're going to be able to shift billions in, in currency at almost at the drop of a hat. They're not going to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I just don't think that's, that's, that's realistic really. And particularly without a, an on off ramp with these sort of cryptocurrency exchanges, um, restricting some users from from accessing their services, but but overall, I, I think the idea of you know doing um, a mass sweeping block of users just because of their geolocation would be the wrong decision to make, and that wouldn't be a, a proportionate or a, a justified decision. So you know, just blocking you know in this case twenty five thousand accounts that, uh, according to their analytics, um, have been linked with illicit activity, you know, is probably the right move to make. Um, and then just a, a bit of a, you know, the last question to, to finish the podcast on is, you know, realistically with, with everything that's going on in Eastern Europe, you know, what do you think is the, the future for the Russian economy if this conflict does continue? Uh, I'd say it's definitely looking like the Russian economy would take a big hit from all of these sanctions. Uh, however, they still have very good relations with China, and that's likely going to be a main drive for their economy in the future. Uh, I don't think anyone really knows what will happen once the war is over. But uh, if these sanctions continue in the long run, I think that Russia will definitely take a very big impact from its inability to conduct business with the Western world. Absolutely. Austin, any thoughts? Um, yeah, Ivan's point just made me think of about uh, what some of our foreign ex forum experts were uh, seeing on cyber criminal forums, just the heavy reliance on uh, Russia being integrated into, you know, the rest of Western Europe. A lot of these countries, you know, that have major, uh, financial interests in Russia um, were pulling out, you know, they're just pulling out overnight. And uh, we're seeing people on cyber criminal forums saying, you know, our company packed up and left and I don't have a job anymore. What do I do? Um, so, you know, we're starting to see the, the real world impact to ordinary citizens that these moves are having. And obviously those are the kind of ripple effects that have an overall effect on the economy. So not just sanctions, but um, people's individual uh, financial wealth uh, takes a toll on the economy as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've seen the, the photos of people kind of queuing outside of ATMs, um, obviously the Russian bank in, in raising inflation, I think by 50% from 
up to about 20% overall, um, which is pretty shocking. And I sat there and saw that. I thought if that inflation level was here in the UK, you know, how could I pay for my mortgage? How could I you know, pay for food? You know, the impact on, on regular everyday items. Uh, and that's the sort of things that's going to be impacting people in Russia. And what you were saying, Ivan, about the, the links to China, that was something that we identified on the, the blog we wrote um, yesterday as well. Um, namely that Russia obviously being booted off SWIFT, uh, they're going to have to move to an alternate system and one that China has uh, called the, the cross-border interbank payment system or, or SIP. You know, that could be something that they might turn to. Um, and, and whether, you know, the US and the West really wants Russia to, to forge a greater financial um, link with China, you know, I'm sure that's something, um, you know, they, they perhaps wouldn't want to see. So, you know, I don't think anyone can predict it as, as you allude to Austin, but, you know, it is going to be difficult um, if the, the conflict does drag out. Um, that's great. Thank you so much for your contributions today. Really, really interesting discussion. Um, if you have, you know, enjoyed, you know, our chat on the impact of sanctions and around crypto, you know, definitely check out, you know, that latest blog exploring the topic in detail. Um, we also have a blog coming out today on SIM swapping. Um, Austin, do you want to say a couple of words on that one? Yeah, uh, the blog is really just a deep dive into um, the threats that swim swap, SIM swapping attacks pose to uh, mobile device users, which is basically all of us, and mobile carriers. So it's a really interesting insight uh, into how cyber criminals are weaponizing our SIM cards and using impersonation and social engineering attacks to try and steal our identities, our money, um, and our SIM cards. So definitely to check it out. Great stuff. Thanks very much. Um, thank you to everyone for, for listening to us today. Um, otherwise, stay safe and we'll see you all soon. Goodbye. <laughs>